You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we'll be talking about the John Pertwee era, so you don't have to. I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Simon. And, oh, before we start talking about the John Pertwee era. <clears throat> uh, When's somebody going to buy you a new phone? You're looking at your phone. It's, it always amazes me. It's now. smashed. It is. Uh, yeah, but you just get used to things, don't you? And if I had a phone that wasn't smashed, I'd be like, oh, where's the lines gone? I know <laughs> every crack on this screen. <laughs> But thanks for bringing that up in public. That's all right. <laughs> just I just think it annoying. Mind you, I've used a phone for two years that where its home and back buttons don't work. Really? Yeah, because within, within two days of having a new phone, I dropped it in a cup of tea. Uh, this won't work, A, if it's raining, mm. or B, if, I've, if I go out for a walk in the summer and it reacts to my body heat, it won't work. That's like most people know you, though, isn't it? react to my body heat <laughs> it's just the women I don't use my phone for much I don't have the internet on it so I just use it for texting right well but, you could just get yourself a little Nokia brick then can you we're recording oh yeah <clears throat> are we sponsored by Nokia we should be why Nokia well they've got money so have lots of other people I know but it's the first one I can oh, we're sponsored with. by Anne Summers yeah, can we be sponsored by him? Maybe in that case, if we're not, why are you wearing that, Lee? <laughs> so I hope it doesn't squeak when we're on air. Adrian Sturrock's eight-year-old son has arrived at the second half of season 21. So we have a new edition of yeah. Lug- Lugan's Loke. <laughs> Logan's Luke. To, uh... Plus also, there's something here for that will be of interest for Matt. Okay. So... Logan, who's eight, watched Planet of Fire. He said, This story was good, and I liked that it was set in a different place, like an island. I was pleased to see Chameleon back, even though he was taken over by the Master. It was also good to see the Master back. It was funny that he was very small in his TARDIS, and that Perry was trying to squash him. <laughs> I liked Chameleon, but I didn't like the Doctor shooting him at the end. I am a bit sad that Turlow left because I liked him as the companion because he was intelligent. And I like Perry, even though she is a little bit silly because she doesn't think things through as much as most companions. Mm. Score, 7 out of 10. The Caves of Androzani. This story was good. I like the androids and also the monster in the caves. Perry was good in this story, but we didn't get to see her much. I liked how the Doctor regenerated at the end of the story, and I only realised the Doctor was going to regenerate when him and Perry got back to the TARDIS. I like the Fifth Doctor about the same as the Third Doctor, and he is my favourite after the Fourth Doctor. Score, 7 out of 10. Mm. The Twin Dilemma. I like the new Doctor, and I like his costume with all the bright colours. I like his costume about the same as the Fifth Doctor's costume. It wasn't very good when the Doctor tried to strangle Perry in the first episode, but I don't mind how the Doctor gets grumpy a lot. 
I like the twins and how they said the same thing at the same time, and I also like Mestor the giant slug, but the costumes of the bird people were a bit weird because they didn't look like servants' costumes. I didn't really like how the Doctor and Perry argued all the time. Score, 7 out of 10. So, says Adrian, recapping on season 21, Logan gave five of the seven stories a score of 7 out of 10. His favourite story was Resurrection of the Daleks, while his least favourite story was The Awakening. (laughs) No, that's not the bit for you. Okay. It is also possible that he is the first person to give the same score to The Caves of Androzani and The Twin Dilemma. Rather boringly, my favourite story of the season is The Caves of Androzani, while my least favourite is The Twin Dilemma. Also, I've just listened to your review of The Woman Who Fell to Earth, and Matt seems to have forgotten The Sea Devils, The Sontaran Experiment, and Genesis of the Daleks. Oh, no TARDIS. When yes, discussing yeah, yeah, yeah. stories since the no, demons re- which don't have the TARDIS in them. I realised that the next day. Yeah. Maybe it's stories where the TARDIS isn't even mentioned. Hmm. I don't think it's even mentioned in some of those, though. No. Probably not. Um, He he also says Australian viewers would have been amused by the villain Tim Shaw, who, as a TV shopping presenter in the 1990s, was (laughs) single-handedly responsible for the phrase, but wait, there's more, entering the Australian lexicon. (laughs) Regards, Adrian Sturrock. Does that mean he's coming back, do you think? Do you think it's a really, really covert in-joke? Tim Shaw? Yeah. I don't think Tim Shaw's coming back. But maybe the races. The Stenza. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of talk about the Stenza in the second episode. Yeah. Which seems to indicate that there's more to them than just the guy in the first episode. And the guy in the first episode, he's starting to melt as he teleports back to his home planet. Right. And he is basically king-elect. So it stands to reason that at the end of the series, in the tenth episode a posse of his people are going to turn up for revenge with him having arrived home melting just in time to say Sheffield 2018 get that bitch that done this to me yay those, down. <laughs> those <laughs> words yeah, a giant spaceship in the shape of a molar dropping through the clouds <laughs> <laughs> big pair of gums well, that not... comes along with a big <clears throat> tube of toothpaste <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> leave. Oh, this is brilliant. Sorry, go on. I'm not predicting that that's necessarily what's going to happen, but it stands to reason that if you wanted to put something in the 10th episode that ellipses back to the first, that would be the thing, wouldn't it? Because he's still alive when he mm. teleports, but only for a couple of minutes. But they designed those... He's um, alive just for long enough to send people off to but, get revenge. But they he? designed the DNA disrupting stuff, didn't they? Yeah, hoist by his own petard. So when he goes back, who's to say that they've got something that could reverse that? So he's got half a face. Well, that's not impossible either. But I think the way the Stenza were spoken about in the second episode indicates that they're the most likely thing to return if anything's going to return, right? Mm. Certainly not Crasco. No, I think I'll come to the conclusion after a week of thinking about it, he's not coming back. Did you think, okay, we haven't actually spoken about, um, you weren't here last week, so what did you think of Rosa? I loved it, I thought it was fantastic. The the pace of last week's seemed to be the pace of the first two episodes-ish, but the pace fitted last week's, but not necessarily the first two. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so it had the same pace, but it was more appropriate. It was more appropriate, yeah. Um, I thought the storytelling was pretty good. I loved the... Uh, yeah, I mean, 
I think I've had a bit of an, a, an online argument with somebody about being over PC, and I know I just gave up in the end because you know you get it pulled. They into said this. it was over PC. Oh yeah, it's just an idiot in the end. But um, I tried to just talk through it, but it was impossible. This this person had a complete blinkered vision, and I, I forget it. But that seemed to be echoing around. Um, people were just online, not not friends and and family. It really seemed to just really enjoy it that I knew. But basically online, people seem to be. I don't know, quite, I quite divided it, in places. Yeah, but odd. I think it was only a very small number of yeah, voices so, who yeah. were just banging Shouting. on and on and on about yeah. it. Yeah, Most mm. of the conversations I was having were about the kind of the nuances of the story, not yeah. whether it was right or wrong, but how it was done. How it was done, And yeah. I think that's the best thing about the episode is it prompted a lot of quite smart oh, people yeah. to have quite yeah. smart conversations about it. it was, well, you must have been looking in different places. Well, I was, well yeah, I wasn't yeah. looking for the... Yeah. Yeah, it didn't have to look very far. More, more nonces than nuances. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the, the, the problem... <laughs> one of the problems it might have had is that it's, it's a simple story, isn't it? I mean, we know the story. All you've got to do is sit on the bus in the right place. So you're then... you As a writer, you've got to make sure that you're, the whole thing is tense in lots of different ways. And it, I think it just about did it. I think I was quite pleasantly surprised. I watched it a second time tonight, and I was... Yeah, it's just as powerful as it was the first time round. Uh, music was good. Apart, I mean, I didn't like the the pop track at the end, but I get why it was used. Um, they should have used music. Pretty much the, said everything I said last week. They should have just used the music of the time. It would have been much more stronger. There's there's definitely tracks out there that. Yeah, but the track at the end, you know what it is. Yeah. And you know why it was used. Yes. So that's the I, thing that they stick in at the end that says, and this is still going on now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's the one thing that saved it. From being, if they use music of the time, do you think? Use yeah. My my problem, my I liked it, but my problem was you historicize events like that and you weaken them. Okay, you can only make events like that, or the best way to make events like that relevant. really powerful mm. is making them relevant to today. Mm. Good, and I think for me it was wow. a bit too, a bit too. The past is an alien world. Look at this weird past, and this is an event that has to be fixed. Okay. And there wasn't enough. Modern. Yeah, Modern they weren't. Link. I didn't think they I were think quite the brave a, enough. With the only thing they could have done is kind of done what they did with uh, the end of the world, mm. which was really powerful. Where yeah, you saw the end yeah. of the world, and then they came back to them, and she's got the whole chip speech. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and having that. But yeah, like you say, Paul. I, 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 mean, I, I don't. I can't see how they could have how they could have done it. And most no. of the conversations I've had this week have been quite interesting ones about how differently they could have done it. And sort of rewriting the story and the conversations, mm. and I don't agree with a lot of it, but I think that's a measure of how powerful the idea was. Mm. Yeah, to do that story, the only way you could do it is the way they did it. You couldn't have changed really well, anything about it. And the only way you can put something that's relevant to modern times in it is by doing it over the top of the fiction, like with the song. Because if you try and do it by having them come into the present, like they did in Say Vincent and the Doctor, then you diminish what happened in the past. But one thing I did agree with, I think it was Lance Parkin was talking about it, one thing I did agree with was the the baddie was actually underwritten to the point where I think yeah. he was a distraction. And if you took him out and turned it into something like the Aztecs, which you were comparing it to, and made and made the, the TARDIS team part of the problem of changing history and they have mm. to change it back mm. that way you can you can make it more contemporary because the TARDIS 
crew are from contemporary England. You don't but have I the don't... distraction of the baddie. You just oh, you I just do, do understand that. that. That would have worked actually. Yeah, well, no, for two reasons I'd say not no. because I don't think you could have. Well, I don't know, mm. maybe, but I can't think of any way that you could put the TARDIS team in there that accidentally mess something up that they need to repair. That's that's the challenge. Because mm. it was lots of little things yeah. rather than one big thing. The only big thing they could have done is land the TARDIS on top of Rosa Parks and have to fix her up in time to get back to the bus. But they only need, they only need, <laughs> you know what I mean? But they only need to do something little. And, sort of have talk, and, and Chibnall can insert a long and patronising conversation about the butterfly effect. Yeah, but the butterfly um, effect, but the butterfly effect only works across a longer period of time. I mean, the, the but, only, like I'm saying, the only little thing they could do is have stopped her from getting on the bus and then have to get her yeah. on the bus. But didn't the, didn't the main baddie? All he did was give the guy a holiday. Or... Yeah, but he did lots of little things. Yeah. He gave the guy a holiday. Right. He cancelled the bus, he put up signs to say yeah. the bus was cancelled, yeah. he changed the driver on the bus. I'm, Equally, I wouldn't have taken out that guy at all, because right. he, in the same way as the song was saying, well, now the same stuff's going on. Yeah, yeah he was he too. Would, yeah. And he was yeah, he, he was in the future. He yeah. was basically saying, this stuff hangs around, this has think to be monitored all they, the time. They didn't quite hit one thing or the other, so they didn't quite do that strongly enough. He wasn't in it enough to make that case. That no. was sort of a brief line. But, as I say, there's been a lot about how minutes. it could be rewritten and I don't necessarily agree with it all. No. And I don't see how I don't see how they could have rewritten it, which is why I no. which is why I'm more favourable about the episode than I was I after I've watched quite... it, because thinking about it I don't I don't see how it would have easily been rewritten. I do I do yeah. think he was the weak point in, in maybe uh, the actor wasn't given enough direction, but I didn't feel he was a very solid character. But 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 before you go any further though yeah. That's true also of the villain in the first episode, and yeah. it's true of the villain in the second episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a running theme this year that the villain, the villain, and it's true of tonight's episode, we'll yeah. get to it. It's a running theme this year that the villain is a is a weakling who just happens to have got power for no particularly discernible reason, and, and is easily dispatched, yeah. essentially. And, I mean, I've, I've, I quite liked it, the fact that he was an ex-Storm Cage villain. He could have been lying through his teeth, he probably was, about killing 2,000 people. It was almost like a brag that he, he didn't really, it didn't really happen, or was accidentally was near it, you know. That's why part of me was thinking, well, this could be a bit like the time meddler coming back, because yeah. he didn't kill people, really, and he was a bit of a, bit of a bragger, he was a, a bit of a... He was a meddler, I mean, he changed... He put notes on top of bus stops, for God's sake. Yeah, after you know the I mean? episode, it's not... people were predicting he would actually turn out to be the time meddler. Well, despite the storm cage thing and the tattoo but, and the vortex manipulator, yeah, but and it's all, else. I mean, it's up to date. But I think the problem was that he kind of, you know, they, they wrote it in that it, it can't be him because there were certain things that were surprising him throughout the episode, which he would plainly know about. I think I said, I said in the podcast that the fact that he had such a weak character was a good thing because they're saying he's a racist and he's just ineffectual. Yeah. And but I think he doesn't care I think thinking it. about it, there's a fine line between underwritten characters and purposefully <clears throat> weakened characters. And I think if you have too many it just feels like all the emphasis is placed on character the characterization of the doctor and her companions and there's not enough Balance. Well, we'll get to that. With, there's with a there's a weird mix of massive cliche, isn't there, over the last four episodes, and um, you've got this massive cliche, and then moments of things that are very different. So, yeah. for instance, when people are getting kicked or oh, sent back in time, for instance, 
He's just standing there and he disappears. And it's yeah. Ryan that does all it was, that. Yeah, it was, like, it was oh, an anticlimax. Yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of tiny little things that could be climactic, but they're not. And they're kind of pulled from under your feet. Because maybe it's a different way of storytelling. Maybe it's trying and to trick us. Well, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. But oddly, there's lots of <laughs> gonna... cliched moments. In it. Okay, I'm, yeah, I'm going to... The tone is a bit I'm weird. So gonna... well, well, sorry, go on. I said it at the end of the second episode, didn't I? And I'm going to say it again at the yeah. start of this one. Go. Shut so up, Luke. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> so okay, I'll do it. But first, let's go round the table. I'm going right. to do something slightly different this week because I have no idea what anybody thought of that. Usually you can tell. But I just... In that room when we were the four of us were sitting there watching it together, I could not tell what anybody was thinking of what was going on screen. So instead of asking you of your first thoughts, I'm going to ask everybody just to give me one word. A number. Score it now. Your first thought, you can change it at the end, but tell me what's in your head now. Matt. So I'm scoring it. Score it. Just one word, a number. Oh, five. Okay, Lee. <laughs> five. Simon. Eight. <laughs> and I'm going to go seven. Okay, so... Mm. Right, I'll say the thing that you were coming to. <laughs> Lee. I'll say, <laughs> I'll say what you were about I'll to just say. I'll just get a cup of tea. No, 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 no. You were about to say something, something that I said two weeks ago. Okay. Or no, you were alluding to something that I spoke about two weeks ago. Right. I'll say it now and we'll use that as a launching point into talking about the episode. I thought the writing in that episode was perfectly satisfying and I thought the production, the direction, the music, everything else, the lighting of that episode was perfectly satisfactory, but I did not think the writing and the production were complementary to one another. Mm. And I think that's been the theme throughout the series so far, that it's... That was... That was a romp. A lot of the dialogue between the characters was funny, silly dialogue. The Chris Noth's character was written as a cartoon villain, and yet you take the director and the crew out to Sheffield and into the studio, which is hundreds of miles away from where the writers are, and all of a sudden they turn what should have been into a romp into this 50-minute... It's really obvious. It's a, Again, we've had four very obvious on-the-nose, on-the-button episodes, but it wasn't a romp. It had its moments of funniness. But it wasn't a romp in the way, say, David Tennant running around on the planet of the Ood was a romp. It just seems that the production and the scripts are doing two slightly different things. Simon's nodding in agreement. I mean, yeah, I'm in agreement. I think the focusing on the characters is the thing which is pulling it out of that romp. Yeah, maybe. To, to a degree. And I think that there are there are moments when the characters are all talking together and it's perfect. There were some moments in the kitchen or whatever it was that where they were talking or lab or something. They were they were talking. It was perfect. It was really really fun banter, brilliant, perfect exchanges. I thought this is great writing. And then one character will come in and do something which just completely pulls it all apart, makes it. Uh, that, I, you I know who I'm talking about. No, I just didn't like the banter. Those uh, those were some of the bits I no, didn't. No, there, like. there was some there was some banter that was just perfect. It didn't progress anywhere. Let's stand, do, let's stand in the kitchen whilst there's spiders all around. And <laughs> no, but it wasn't. It was, was fine. It was no, no, it was fine. It was the conversation. That was fine. And they were in a kitchen. They were safe. It's fine. It's when they were in the cave and they started talking about plastic. I just started glazing over because it went on and on. And for, on. Me, for me, it veered between Chris Chibnall remembering he has to slip in Doctor Who kind of banter 
and Chris Chibnall kind of doing his kind of and here's the bit of science about yeah. about smells and spiders. Yeah. Here's the bit about how we shouldn't pollute. Here's oh, a man. bit about guns. It's almost as clumsy as Ian Fleming trying to cram in stuff about crabs and octopus eels. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> he just goes on about but four I just, pages. I didn't about think crabs. it was very well written this week. Mm. I didn't think. Well, I'm I, talking I in terms of it was, plot. It was okay. So they, I, I always talk about do the themes coincide with each other, and they did. And I always talk about other things that are set up, paid off, and is everything that pays off? Does it have a setup? And all that was in place as well. I'm not talking about the dialogue. I'm talking okay. about the narrative. I think and the they, narrative was satisfying. I think they got away with it. I think... I oh, think, oh that's, yeah. that's exactly the... Well, um, they would have got away did with it. So, did they, su- they suffocated the spiders in the... Yeah. In the locked room. Mm. Did they get all the spiders? Well, this is across a the fantasy city, city I've got to say. Yes, but I've I mean, say, I was I looking at it and thinking... The only way they can do this is by discovering that by killing the, the queen spider, mm. all the other spiders die. Because the spiders are so spread out mm. over the city. Yeah. Now, the spiders will die anyway, eventually, as long as they... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, the, yeah, but spiders don't have a long lifespan. No. And the spiders will die out as long as their food source is cut off. Right. And you get all that stuff about the landfill bit and the chemicals and what have you that are building yeah. up in there. Yeah. Right, they go away at the end and nobody says, oh, and we must do something about that landfill. But I think you can take it as read that they do. Yes. So the spider problem yeah. goes away even if they aren't all in that little room. Yeah. But the idea is one of those... It's like... Gallifrey blowing up with all the Daleks around it at the end of Day of the Doctor. Oh yeah, or, I don't, I don't mind the, I don't mind the fact that we fill in the blanks and there's a simple yeah, conclusion. But, but the episode seemed to be very much directed. It seemed to be setting up the problem, then tackling the problem, and then the solution was the entire. It's there wasn't straightforward. That's yeah. what this year has been. Mm-hmm. It's been. It, we've had eight years of Stephen Moffat doing timey wimey, and in. Now we're getting episodes that are just straightforward. It is. Arrive, find out there's a problem, spend 20 minutes understanding that there's a problem, spend the next 20 minutes working out which what I the problem is. Which I right, was a lot of, the, lot of Moffat haters, because there were quite a few. Um, that's what they wanted. And I've, I've spoken I, to people who are those Moffat haters, and they don't like this series. And it's like, well, oh, but there's some other surely that's really what I wanted. Ironically, the thing Not that Matt's saying about with the level of writing and some of the dialogue is the one thing that would have made this probably a Dinosaurs on a Spaceship level yeah. episode yeah. would have been a skim from Stephen Moffat over the top to... This, I think this is Stephen my... Moffat did a skim on Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. No, I think Chris Chibnall just wrote an episode in the Moffat style. But I think mm. I think okay. I like I like the straightforward approach and I I find it refreshing. But I think if you're going to do it straightforwardly without Stephen Moffat's kind of irony or his his wit, you just do it straightforward. You have to make everything flawless because Stephen Moffat's dialogue, the witty dialogue covered up a lot of mm. inconsistencies or a few inconsistencies and it it covered up the pacing. It also wasn't wasted. And I don't think it was... There wasn't anything wasted. Was flawless. This whereas, was... whereas this episode had a lot of lines coming back in over and over again. Poor Graham, he had a moment where he had to say, well, the spider's killing everybody. The, so we know no, they are. They're, and they're, they're going towards the music was a well, sort of an added piece that, of... That's okay, I don't mind that. But uh, the, that was fine. That was that yeah. was an okay line. But it's the repetition of saying the things that we already know that's happening that just gets me each time. Um, I, I just hear some of those lines and think... Yeah, that could have been written a bit better. Yeah. 
don't you know, have you said the doctor's dialogue I don't, really, yeah, is a little bit I'm really torn though because I don't think it could have been to be honest I think it's fine I think the writing's fine I think mm. just only someone, dialogue I'm, I'm talking mm, about dialogue yeah but I don't think no I've just got 8 out of 10 I don't so think, think the di- that, yeah I don't think there's but... an issue with the dialogue I think it's just used that we're used to more idiosyncratic dialogue mm. and this is less idiosyncratic it's more and idiosyncratic. it doesn't feel it doesn't ring true to me if it's it's either in, it's either purposefully idiosyncratic and stylized, or if they're going to do it straightforwardly, it has to be sort of it has to feel real to me. And I this, kind of rather it didn't... did its own thing because there was stuff about like oh um, when she said I've never had a flat before I could have a sofa of my very own sofa and that and it was kind of a watered down version of what we've had before. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that was the, that was one of those bits where it felt, I'd rather it didn't felt try and like, do that. I'd rather it yeah, did its own thing. It felt like Chris Tribbnall trying to remind us that this is Doctor Who. Yeah. No, I don't know. I like that, and I thought that was Doctor Who. That's the Doctor. No, who I think it was, to. but I'm saying it's. But it was the fact that she had the response back saying, "You know, he said, am I doing well? No, not really. You've been a bit weird. Oh, okay. I've got time to, to work this out. I think so she's trying. Yeah, that's she, the Chibnall thing. Yeah, that's it's fine. like he's Jody's almost making a commentary on what the other writers do with Doctor Who. Yeah. So he throws in something that's Doctor Who, Russell T Davis yeah. style, then makes a comment on it at yeah, the end, which is. Fine, I, I thought Jodie's well. Doctor was working really well this episode. Really well. Yes. She's still some... doing that Peter Davis and breathy thing. Yeah. Well, she yeah. was upside down at one minute. At one yeah. point, so and she was doing it pretty much all the way through. I don't think it's as annoying as it was with him. Quiet moments, though. They, they're the moments that work for her. Some very subtle moments. There's like where she was looking around for webs. And there was the bit in the house where she was looking around. And there was a lovely, yeah. naive, childish moment where she was just kind of like her mouth was slightly open and she was watching what yeah. how everyone was talking and it was all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, yeah she is alien. Yeah, I she is that. still were, learning. That was gorgeous. There were moments great. in this where I thought it was going to be great. Yeah. And I loved I loved the opening shots, the low-level opening shots along the corridors, the kind of the shining mm-hmm. shots mm-hmm. because I thought, okay, they're going to do a slow creeping build-up with bits of spiders and you, you still see evidence and they did that a little bit. And then just threw spiders at you, and there were bits yeah, where they went into the room. With, in the went into the room, yeah. But there were really gruesome bits as well, like Kevin being pulled into the yeah. into the destroyed bath. That what? Yeah, that, I mean, that was the moment. That was horrific. Mm. I mean, that's horror. That's this was a, obviously a horror episode because we're at October thirty first. Was it? Do you think that was like? Oh, we're going to be airing this. We're going to be screening it towards Halloween. Let's make this a horror one because, you know. Well, the eight-legged freaks and all those other horror films—they weren't half as scary as tonight's episode. That was. Oh, some, you found it scary. Some parts of it were terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm not even an arachnophobe. By the end of it, I'm I'm this, already going. I find the you know. the suffocating in the the spiders' webs yes, and the upside-down yeah. bodies that was horrific. Him being pulled into the bath. Yeah. The actual spiders, I didn't find because oh, no, you just shut the real. door and they. No, no. I, I think when you saw the back of the spider and it was pretty obviously real. covering him in web and whatever, that was pretty nasty yeah, when he opened that the door. Was quite nasty. Because Freya reacted to that. Yeah. When I watched this first. Oh, time. The, the, you see, I, I don't know. I was quite, I was quite on board with using a gun. I mean, I was, yes. you know, I there's, there's spiders. <laughs> this spider's suffocating. On one side, this spider's suffocating and is in distress. Shoot it in the head. On the other side, it's a spider. Shoot it in the, <laughs> shoot it in the head. I didn't think it was like an automatic feed 
for an anti-gun Do you know, I'm, I, gun I'm so anti-gun. I, you know, we're none of us I'm, here. I'm, I'm, I'm anti-gun. Can I, can I, but we had spent but the entire episode establishing that it wasn't the spider's fault. And never, they were just no, following this. No, but, 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 but the, but the way they got rid of them was to suffocate I'm, them. That doesn't am seem like being naive of the fact that how did they have guns? I think they were, sorry, just starved rather than suffocated, actually. Still, no, the, no the, the queen spider was suffocated. Yes, but the, the other ones that went into the panic room. Yeah, they just left them to, to, to starve. Yeah, yeah. So actually, he was right about the mercy killing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. You know, I, I don't know. Go on, sorry. No, 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 I, I might incredibly naive that the hotel guards had guns because... I think he was treating it like an embassy. It was just his guards. His guards. Because he's important. He, right. Yes, it was his bodyguard. And he's American, so, and apparently and all Americans have guns. And that's how Chibnall does a Trump... A yeah. Trump parallel. I think that's that was my point. No, that, that wasn't Trump, was it? Because this guy obviously doesn't like Trump. So no, obviously this guy wasn't Trump, was he? It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I was saying in my head, what, what was worse, Ed Sheeran or Trump? Ed Sheeran. Trump. So I think I think my point is that Chibnall wouldn't do a subtle like Trump illusion. He'll have Trump there. He'll have a hotelier with a gold like <clears throat> initial on the roof. Who's going to run to be run to be president? This has been building up to it. No, this is Chibnall's Trump moment, not before. And that's that's okay. It was a little bit it's hammered, running thing. hammered in. <laughs> yes, especially well, it was his uh, it was his golf course in Scotland where this episode was really taking place, oh, yeah. wasn't it? Um. Okay, there were. There was a theme of homecoming as well, and Sheffield. What did anybody think of Sheffield in this episode? It looked quite nice, didn't it? Did it? Less less affected than the first episode. <clears throat> oh, did you think so? We didn't really see any of it in the first episode. Well, yeah, a bunch of just Sheffield. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> but it was it was more the exteriors were more kind of cinematically shot than the first episode. This but one, when Russell T Davis did London, you had. Big Ben, you had the Shard, you had all these sorts of things, mm. and he really sold the idea that this is taking place in London. This has all been taking place in Sheffield, and okay, somebody who used to live in Sheffield, I've recognised like certain shots, but I there's know, not been no landmarks in Sheffield. But there's it? not been anything there to say this is Sheffield. Did you rather say that anywhere else? Did you say there have been no landmarks in the series, or there are no landmarks in Sheffield? I can't think of any landmarks that would would tell me that it was Sheffield. Well, I mean, if and you were a Sheffield still... person, you'd know, you'd see certain shots. I imagine that you... train that went past because what was it? It was a yeah. But what I'm saying is, you know, like something like the Civic Centre or the Library or whatever, mm. particular places. Mm. But I've not. But but what I'm saying is, uh, the point I'm making is not that it that they're not showing off Sheffield. Mm. But the point I'm making is that. Russell T. Davis very deliberately set his in London so he could do the landmarks in London. And then Stephen Moffat, at first at least, was more rural. And then there was a lot of Coal Hill. Mm. So you had kind of... It wasn't like he was showing a particular place, but he was showing how a particular type of a place works. So you had village and then you had school. But so far we've had two episodes out of the four in Sheffield this year. And it's not especially because this was a lot of this was in a hotel. So it raises the question: Why, why, why bother setting it in Sheffield? Yeah, yeah, or not so much why bother setting it in Sheffield, but why bother having it in a city? Mm. 
it doesn't really matter what the city is. He said it in Sheffield because he knows Sheffield. Mm. And to be honest, the, the small details that have been there have felt right to me. Mm. For, although, you know, I was eight when I left, so I couldn't really say much, but things like the university and that and there's something well. about the and also the um, there's something about the industrial the idea that there's a like a well abandoned coal mines yeah that been turned into well that was the one great thing about yeah. this episode is that he actually said right what does south yorkshire have that i can use to make a story okay. and it's a network of mines underground mm. that could potentially lead to this hotel if it's built on an old mine and he's actually used it and he's used it well but again that doesn't say Sheffield, so much as just South Yorkshire. Mm. It just, it just, it's just that it's set in Sheffield, but so far, nothing about it has said it needs to be. Mm. And it's not even, because the mines could have been anywhere in South Yorkshire, and actually, you know, they couldn't be in the middle of Sheffield. It'd have to be somewhere outside of Sheffield. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a mine there, right? There's also not... There's not a huge difference to filming something in Cardiff, filming something in Sheffield, in terms of the feel of it and the landscape of it. No, it no. could be. Mm. So there's something about the first uh, first season in 2005, where it's set in London but filmed in Cardiff, and you can kind of tell the bits that are in Cardiff and the bits that are in London. Yeah, you can't now. And you, yeah, now I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's less obvious. You you it's really wanted a city with more noticeable landmarks, like Edinburgh or something like that. Even the stuff on the Dales. I'd swear it was filmed on the Dales in the first episode. That's what you said. Because it? that's how I remember the Dales looking. But I'm sure as hell that you know the moors in Wales don't look that much different. Mm. So who knows? Mm. I don't know. It just seems just seems to me slightly odd that they've made this leap to set it in Sheffield. And yet they've not especially done anything with it. Is it because of her accent? Well, I think it's more to do with the fact that Chris Chibnall was at university there and thus knows the city. Right. And thus is just setting it somewhere where you know. Well, in theory, they could have had a nice scene, couldn't they, where she she first gets up from falling through the train and suddenly does a load of accents and then kind of slots in. Well, that's what yeah. we were talking about, wasn't it? At one point, I said, oh, wouldn't it be funny if she spoke like a Capaldi for two seconds? You know, actually, his voice comes out, of a bloke's voice out of a woman's face, and you'd get, <clears throat> and she just shakes it, and off she goes and finds an accent. Mm. But we never see that. We never see why uh, she has that accent, or why the TARDIS chooses what it chooses. Well, well sometimes we do. We have good Capaldi with his face. Well, we've had off-screen explanations for the yeah. last few. But we've, but yeah, this one's just... quite, quite... Well, unless she lands on the train and just picks up the accent that the people have got because she got... had it when she said brilliant before she fell out of the TARDIS. That's true. Mm. That's true. Maybe the TARDIS chose it and went, right, we've got to throw her into that situation. Well, actually, the TARDIS is, at the time she says, oh, brilliant, the TARDIS is hovering above Sheffield, right? <laughs> yeah, reversal, yeah. So maybe, I don't know. Yeah, you could say it's like a survival thing. Yeah. 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 Communion, circle of the voice. And we also know the TARDIS looks forward because of um, the, well, the moment did, rather. Mm. And the TARDIS in The Doctor's Wife kind of hinted that it sees forwards yeah. rather than just backwards and in the present. Mm. I don't know. It just, Yeah, there just seems to be a few sort of loose things like that in the sort of production of it. So you got 
with Stephen Moffat and with Russell T Davis. And this is maybe the point. We've been spoiled by having Russell T Davis and Stephen Moffat, whether you like them or not. They're both such strong, strong voices. Mm. Very, very um, like I said, idiosyncratic voices. But they are um, consummate voices. So everything they write sort of consummates into the whole theme and tone of what they're doing. Whereas with Chris Chibnall, you get the impression more that he's just really good at doing a jack-of-all-trades, maybe, rather than a specialist in one. Mm. So whereas Russell T. Davis is a specialist in big-hearted, slightly caricatured, over-the-top drama, and Stephen Moffat's a specialist in slightly tricksy, funny, metaphorical drama, then Chris Chibnall, maybe, is just really good at sort of doing observational about human beings and behaviour. But maybe that doesn't fit into a genre in the same way as the other two do. And so maybe we're just seeing a slightly more, yeah, for want of a better word, slightly more diluted version of Doctor Who. And it's obviously deliberately set out to make it more straightforward. Mm. And maybe the straightforward doesn't help with that slight feeling of it being just a little bit I think diluted. straightforwardness exposes yeah, a lot of things. Because it's like with cooking, you can throw a load of spice into your meal and cover up yeah. bad meat. But if you're going to cook something just plainly, like plain steak and chips, you have to make sure that the steak is really, really good and the chips are really, really good and that you cook it really, really well. And I don't think... I think last last week they got away with it because the spice was strong. The the, hist- yeah, yeah, the historical yeah. event. The week, the two weeks before, they got away with it because it's the yeah. first two weeks of Doctor Who and it felt new. This and also, week, it was this the steak, week, it was the yeah, steak chips with lots of sauce on it, wasn't it? Yeah, last week was a souffle and they just about got away. With yeah, it. yeah. This week, this week. <laughs> no, no, but it's one of those things that could have gone. Really yeah, bad. yeah, yeah. Really I, was, I was on the edge of my seat last week, not because of the drama of what was happening, was but because yeah. I didn't know whether it was going to fall off the edge of the cliff. Yeah. But this week, I think, is the first week where I've actually felt like this is a, a standard episode. This is the bog standard Chibnall style Doctor Who episode. Yeah. And I don't think it worked. Yeah, but I, I think this is a B for. Do you remember in. Um... Series 8, when Mummy on the Orient Express came along. Mm. And next to all the other episodes in Series 8, Mummy on the Orient Express, I mean, as good as it was, but it was bog standard next to all the things that were going on in the other episodes. Mm. And yet, that's the one that really landed with a lot of fans. Mm. Mm. And so, I don't know, I suspect that, you know, the big episode that we had last week, that people have reacted mostly positively to because of what it was about... But I suspect that the Doctor Who fans, uh, the Doctor Who fan, Doctor Who fandom in general, will probably react really well to this episode. Mm-hmm. In that it's a bog standard 1973 style Doctor Who story. Giant spiders running around, uh, and why did they grow toxic, well, toxic waste? It's I mean, the Green Death, but with the <laughs> yeah. spiders from the following year instead mm-hmm. of the maggots, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it did, and it did all it's the things Scooby Doo. See, because when you say it's not flawless, I don't think there are any flaws in it. I don't think there's a single flaw in it, but there's just also nothing to distinguish it either. I think, well, I thought I thought there were flaws for me. But I don't think there were flaws. Well, the dialogue. <laughs> I, for me, the dialogue just ran off the edge of the cliff too many times. Yeah, it, it just it wasn't. It, just, it didn't feel like it was um, 
consistent. Mm. I think it had the whole episode had moments of brilliance. I was sitting there going, "Oh, that is just brilliant," and then there's another moment where I'm going. Oh come on, seriously! Oh, I'll say, I'll say because I watched it twice. <laughs> down, I watched it down, on transmission, then with you guys. Yeah, go I watched on. Watched it with the family. Is on the second viewing, the stuff that was where, where I was checking myself from the start with every one of these episodes because we don't know what's gonna. We, I think we've all said that we don't really know what we're gonna get each yeah, week, yeah, yeah. do we? And that feeling went for the second viewing where I just went with it. And I really okay. enjoyed it, and yeah. it was yeah, yeah. bread and butter Doctor Who, like you say. And it was just like, oh, this is a this is a load of fun, really. I don't think about it too much. Mm. But then so many other episodes, if you don't think about it, you know, I was thinking, like the resolution at the end. You know, how did they get rid of all the spiders? What happened to all the toxic waste? And there was stuff that was open ended, and you know, and um, I, I saw a couple of comments on Facebook, which was, oh, you know, nothing was resolved at the end, like the bad guy walked off and all that sort of thing. Mm. But that's that's all right. That's life, actually. Yeah. I didn't even notice. No, he didn't that. deserve to die, die. I was half expecting a um, Christmas invasion moment at the end. Doesn't he look tired? It's the equivalent thereof. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And we didn't get that. But then I was glad we didn't get that because, A, I thought that was a hell of a contrivance in the Christmas invasion anyway. And, B, if we'd just have had the same thing again, you'd have just been saying, oh, we've just had the same thing again. Mm. Well, hopefully we'll go 20 years in the future and it'll have completely mucked up the world. Well, he'll be back <laughs> in episode 10 along with uh, Crasco from last week. And the Stenza. And I think Crasco And Art Malik as well. <laughs> We're all going to have teamed up as a sort of super league of super reactionaries to set the world to rights. I think Crasco's going to turn up as a fossilised skeleton holding a tin of um, hair wax. <laughs> I think we'll say baked beans then, but yeah. Yeah, there'll be a episode set in an archaeological dig and there'll be this, you know, here's some Roman coins and here's some Greek coins. That's a bit weird, but you know the weirdest thing of all is a tin of air wax. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. It's happening. So him then, Chris North, I thought... Okay, going back to the production, I don't think there's a problem with the dialogue. I think it's in the direction. I think, because there's, there's this dialogue written by the same guy who wrote... Broadchurch. Broadchurch is so well directed mm. that yeah, okay. Have you it's, seen? But yeah, I've seen Broadchurch, but I've also seen Excalibur. Is it Excalibur that he wrote? No, you're so talking the, about the, Camelot. Camelot. The studio took off him, and yeah, Esther Andworth. Okay, have stuck their team of writers on. Right, um, but yeah, I mean, I I think there was a. For me, there was a problem with the direction, but there was also a problem with the writing. The problem with the direction was there were moments of brilliance in the direction, and then it just went yeah. off slightly, and then it went back, and there was a bit of brilliance, and then off. And I think it was the same for me with the writing. There were moments of writing that I thought, oh, that's a nice, nice piece of dialogue. And then there's a sort of a 20-second chunk where she's explaining science or yeah. explaining this. Or explaining well, I, think I think I'm agreeing with you, man. Yeah. But the ponderousness is not a problem with the writing, it's a problem with the director making it not seem ponderous. Or the editing. Well, Well, the editing... Okay, I'm talking about the production as a whole. The editing and the direction. But it's the director's job to say, right, here's a mouthful of dialogue, let's do something that makes this dialogue less of a mouthful by having the character do something. So, in the West Wing, they have great, great pages and pages worth of dialogue 
and they have them walking down corridors, yeah. which just brings it to life more so than the dialogue itself. Now, this dialogue is more prosaic than the dialogue in the West Wing, but that doesn't mean it's an issue because most people speak prosaically, and this is supposed to be a straightforward version of Doctor Who that speaks to what people actually talk like rather than the Moffat-style dialogue. So the fact that the dialogue is more realistic and less entertaining is not the issue. But the issue is that the director, therefore, has to take that more prosaic dialogue and present it in a way where a great mouthful of dialogue like that Mm. doesn't come across as boring. That's not an issue with the dialogue. It's an issue with the director. Or later on in a second series, then it maybe becomes an issue with the dialogue because if the writers are looking at what's been produced and saying, right, they're not making this dialogue more exciting by getting them to do things. So let's change the style of the dialogue and not put such great gobbets of words in people's mouths. But generally speaking, directors will mostly cut... uh, They will... um, I can't think of the word I need. The um, coverage. They'll shoot coverage of a scene from like four different angles so they can keep cutting (coughs) between lines. And they will, you know, you've seen it a think, million times on telly and in films. People standing up and then sitting down and then walking to the sideboard mm, and then walking back to the mm. chair. And you're thinking, what the hell's going on? They're just sitting down having a conversation. They're doing that so the director and the editor have got something to play with. Yeah. So the, and there's just a bit of this where the directors are going and saying, right, I need to get the action scenes right. And then maybe the rest of the scenes are just three people standing in the corridor doing absolutely nothing when they could be. Walking yeah. down this the goes back to instead. what I was saying about with Jodie, though, which is the previous episodes where there seem to be these long periods where she's just explaining everything. I was saying about where the previous actors would have been going around playing with something at the same time. Well, so fortunately, the there was less of that this week. There was a lot less of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's you're right. I mean, the movement is very important. When we spoke to Saul Metstein all those years ago, when he was talking about filming Matt Smith, and he's quite balletic, so we had mm. to follow him round. You know, those those. Episodes, no matter how badly they might have been written or or directed or whatever, not directed but written, you knew they were directed well because the whole thing just moved. You moved with it. It felt like there was some kind of movement within the entire episode. The dialogue would would, would hang on to the pace of, of of the direction and the editing and the music always kind of fitting what was going. So it felt like like you were saying it, the production and the the music and everything else seems a bit disparate, a little bit apart from each other. But the, what they sh- can at least do is what you were saying is move one end to another, you know, go down some steps and explain stuff so you don't get bored as a, as a viewer. And sometimes it's just the speed at which the actors say it. The yeah. director is supposed to stay on top of all of the performances so that they can speed the performances up and slow the performances down at certain points mm. in order to drive the narrative mm. through the speed of the performance, the thing that they call pacing. And because you're filming stuff out of sequence, then it's the director's job to... And that sounds like I'm really coming down hard on a director here. And this is a TV programme where you've got to get 50 minutes worth done in three weeks as opposed to a film where you might have three months to do 50 minutes. Worth. Right, so that all they got, three weeks. I'm still not... Wow. I'm still not <laughs> I think it's... I think there's a problem with the content of... The content of the dialogue. I think there's too much dialogue. I think they're, they're trying to go more cinematic... Which would mean, and I'm trying to think of. Well, this is it. I was trying to think of any periods of silence where they just discovered things in that episode, and there seemed to be a lot of just, like we were saying, running into a room and describing what, what you're seeing, and 
not quite as much as the second episode but i think it was still there i think there was just too much i think there needed to be but you said it yourself down so you could actually see what was happening trying to go cinematic but that's in the production Rather than the, the no, dialogue, it's just as wordy as Moffat's dialogue. I don't think was. you can. I don't think you can absorb the the script of of flaws just because I think. The, I don't the, think the flaws the, are in the script. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. I don't think you can say that there aren't any flaws. And I think it. I think there are flaws in the script, and there are flaws in the direction, and and I'm trying to work out where one ends and one begins. But I think. I don't I think, think I think there's a content. I think there's something in the way the characters are, what the characters are saying, the actual content the characters are saying, and that's the script. I think there's also an issue in the way it is. Yeah, filmed. but I think you're maybe misreading me. When I say there's a f- no flaws in it, I'm saying it's not exciting, and it's up to the director to make it exciting. Now you might be saying that I, I think the, di- the dialogue doesn't feel realistic to me. It feels like it wants to be grounded and rooted. The dialogue doesn't feel realistic to me because I think there's too much of it, and there's too much, there's too much explaining in the dialogue. What well, did the Stephen Moffat dialogue feel realistic? No, because but the Stephen Moffat dialogue wasn't supposed to feel realistic because Stephen Moffat was making. Uh, it's like an idealized, non, yeah, a non-realistic mm. version of Doctor Who. But I think this, yeah, but I think the script in this is, to a degree, sort of it's slice of life. Yeah, to a but, lot of it, isn't it? But I also think the dialogue lends itself more to a slightly rompier RTD style version of Doctor Who, whereas the production of it has gone in a completely other direction. There seem to be some weird choices again. We had. Graham with extreme grief moments, seeing the ghost of his wife and all that sort of thing, which were handled excellently. Um, and then you had this woman knocking on the door of a friend who just discovers a friend who's been wrapped up in this giant web, which is horrific. And yeah, okay, she works with spiders, but it's, it, it, there's no kind of like, oh, my mate, she's gone. Or that person I work with, she's dead. It, it's just pretty cold. And then from then on, I, she, she annoyed me so much. I think you could have just cut her completely out. I'd, the girl I'd from give, the lab. Yeah, I thought I'd have given it an extra two. And she, she knocked it right down for me. No, I think she was, there was as bad as it, she could have been. Everything she said, everything she said, I just went... Oh. Well, she was there She was there to, give, to give device. Yeah, but she's mm. devices, And then she vanishes. And I, I, I hope I never meet her. Oh, yeah, she I'm did sure just vanish. She, I hope yeah, I never meet point. her, because I think she's a... But that's, a, but that's a, not a, the direction. That is the script. That is a character in the script that's been given a particular stream of dialogue mm. just for one purpose. For one purpose, and it felt like it because the actor couldn't. Well, and wasn't directed. What I well was enough. hoping from Chibnall, mm. and what I still think he'll deliver, is character-driven drama that's maybe more low-key, that is simple, mm. but it also, you know, Doctor Who, I think needs either horror or comedy or both at the same time and at the moment it had moments of horror here and they had scenes of of comedy i didn't find the comedy funny and i find I thought the horror being be pulled down the bath was quite funny at the same time as being really quite nasty yeah, you better understand it's, it's about his screens though i did wonder about that yeah but i thought that was probably the toilet would have been better but I just thought the moments of horrors were cited some extremely rtd moments some mm. some bits were very horrific some bits didn't quite land, but I don't know. It's just inconsistent. I mean, when when you think about that that parting shot in the ballroom, 
the massive empty ballroom with the dead spider. It's beautiful. That as a painting or something would look beautiful, wouldn't it? But I don't know. The the balance isn't quite right. We get these massive wide shots and then these intense kind and of. They still can't when you say the, the lab woman disappeared, what do you mean? Because she was there during I didn't that sequence. Say that. Well, she effect- she disappeared dramatically. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so she had yeah, her purpose, the and then uh, and then she's she, just running around. Considering she knows so much about she spiders, ex- she took it back. She explained why back. the queen spider was dying. Yeah, she. But well, that's but all she cut, was doing. Cut before. her out. Cut her out. Give everything to the doctor. And what if you lost? Yeah, that's the trouble. Cut her out and give everything to the doctor, and that's the issue we had with the second episode, where the doctor's just standing there. Telling everybody what's going on. Yeah, but I don't think that's solved by having just another spare character to share that. But it wasn't just another spare character because she was involved in the reason why the spiders were there in the first that's place. That's another problem that I had, that everything was coincidence-based. Everybody was connected to something else. So Yaz's mum happened oh, to be in that same... Yeah, no, it wasn't that, coincidence-based, a... was it? Wasn't it? No, it was entirely not coincidence-based. It took mean? the central idea that the... Oh, what are you talking about? The, just the fact that Yaz was two doors down from the woman who... Yeah, and Yaz's, and Yaz's mum, mum also works, works in the hotel. hotel that was built yeah, in but the... that's just TV fiction coincidence. I know, I know but you stuff. can hide it quite well. In the, you know, I, I don't know. That's the dot two thing that's happened a few times. And I just but the rest you can deal of it, with it differently. You can hide it quite, quite well with the spice that you get yeah. from the Stephen Moffat script. But the rest of it was quite fulfillingly not coincidence-based. It... Oftentimes with these sorts of stories, it really will be coincidence that X things happened and Y things resulted of it. One, but in here, everything one of the other strengths, logically put together. One of the other strengths I'm hoping from Chibnall is logically put together script because mm. Broadchurch... So what Broadchurch demonstrated was he's really good at drawing individual characters. He's really good at connecting logic problems together. Mm. And those two might make... Strong Doctor Who. I think Doctor the logic thing is. If he can get horror think, and comedy. Sort I think of. the trouble is they're obviously still um, concentrating on the regulars at the expense of. But then that's always been an issue with single episode story Doctor Who. And until we get a two parter under this regime, and who knows whether we actually ever will, because they might just do this. You know, next series and the series after. I don't feel like I'm missing a two-parter because no, they're, they're but, kind of moving one into the other. But Quite. with a two-parter, you mm. actually get to dwell on the guest characters. Yeah. Whereas in the single-parters, the guest characters really are guests. I don't think I like two-parters, if I'm honest. I honestly, I can't think I of any like, two-parters that I just think. I mean, even the. I do like cliffhangers. In, cliffhangers yeah. are are good. I don't think I'd put any two-parters in my top ten stories. Really? really? I don't think I would. Not even the Satan pit. I... Empty child. Human nature. Yeah. Magicians. Heaven sent hell bent. That's three parts. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That is three parter. There's no I way you can have any of those episodes yeah, without yeah, the yeah. other two. Say, if you're looking for a coincidence, but they've always been there, is is was the fact that um, yes, his mum Worked at the hotel. Yeah. It just happened to yeah, be where Yeah, we just said that. Yeah. 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 Sorry. It's, but it's but like, wake up. <laughs> I know. But that's just TV just, coincidence. That's the way it's always story. been there. Yeah. 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 If you don't do that shortcut, then it takes you a hell of a lot longer to get into the story. 
and then it would need to be two parts. Um, one thing I found quite ironic was, and I may be picking up on something which isn't there, but I think it is, uh, is the fact that they made a point with, um, is it Robinson, the hotel owner? Something like that. Where they had did this whole thing where they were recognising, going, oh, look, it's him. Is that him? It's him. Which is basically everything that's happening in this series because everyone, every now and again you get an actor who appeared in Coronation Street or something like that, or it's Mr. Big from Sex and the City. So everyone watching this programme who doesn't usually watch Doctor Who, oh, it's him. Oh, look, it's him from Coronation Street. Yeah. Oh, it's her. He was good. Um, this was a good point in the series for them to cast him. Yes. Because this is potentially the episode in the series where people start to go, I've okay. seen the first three. Right, I'm going yeah. to I'm gonna have to admit something now. I don't watch television. I haven't recognised hardly anybody in this series. Oh, really? Well, who was this well, guy? Yeah. yeah, you're on the podcast. He's, yeah, who he's is Mr. Actor? Big from Sex and the City. He Don't was... watch it. No, anything else? Because it's shit. <gasps> yeah, but he's anyway, been in. Um... Uh, well, in Sex and the City, he's <laughs> a recurring find... rather than a okay. regular character. Right. Well, it's not really but he's shit. done a lot right. of other film and TV. Okay. He's quite a recognisable face. And um, well, Yaz's mum is well known from British her. TV. Yeah. Yaz and Ryan, the companions, are well known from British TV. And of course, you know, you've got Bradley Walsh in there. I know him. But he <laughs> was good, so he's still good. He's and really I liked good, yeah. I like the Graham moments. And yeah. Graham at the moment is my is my way in to the series. So I loved the his scene reactions and where Ryan's telling him about the letter and then suddenly yeah. that was very Moffat actually. Have you looked at the ceiling? That was right oh, out of pretty yeah. possible yeah, misdirection. Yeah. yeah, but that was a lovely scene between the two of them, where yeah. Ryan's yeah, trying yeah, to tell yeah. him about the letter, yeah. and, all and that the works because they're walking and talking, and mm. there's something going on. There's tension. Yeah, see, that works. That that seems brilliant. Okay. I also like the fact that the doctor's not been on top of everything; that things are surprising her. We've gotten past that kind of tenanty thing, and could they not yeah, have where they know the everything? Huh? Could they not have got through the web? Have you ever put your hand on a spider's web? Yes, of course I have. Well, well yeah, that was anything. Yeah, yeah. Takes she hours quite, to get off quite it. happily ripped it open to see the people's faces, but yeah. she couldn't get through the web. Anyway. No, that's yeah. different. though. different but consistency. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. then how, how, how come the people couldn't? They didn't escape? try. I, they didn't. I'm sure there have been previous stories where the sonic <laughs> screwdriver has like repelled webs and cut through. This is webs. a different sonic screwdriver. New rules. What they should have done is she should have pressed it and a little standing knife come at the end. <laughs> but I <laughs> think but I think the web at the yeah, edge of the hotel is a red herring anyway. Yeah. Because they've got to go back in and solve the problem, right? Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. they get it's, to the web and they say, Right, well the web just stopped literally just makes them pause <laughs> on the threshold and realise they've got to go back in. It's a good way of killing a character quite effectively. I sort of hope the American businessman was going to try and get out through the web and get caught and suffocate. There's been a lot of moments in the last three or four episodes where, like um, in the second episode, that the water's got lots Mm. and lots of tiny creatures in it, don't whatever you do, Mm. fall in. Yes. It's like there's lots of setup, or no, there's lots of apparent setup for something to happen, Mm. but it's actually not set up for something to happen. But we're kind of programmed to expect it. It's to. almost as if he's because he also does these sort of Robert Holmes moments of mentioning something, something off, off screen, yeah, yeah, and building a universe. And it's almost like these moments are him doing that, but we don't realise this is him doing that. We think he's setting up something for that's going to yeah, come yeah. back, and it actually turns out just to be 
building a big universe. missed such a chance. You see, what they should have done was guide the spiders into the TARDIS. She nips off to this planet, drops them off, and we realise it's Metabolus 3. They, she, they should have just blown the hotel oh, up. Dear. That's How what I would have done. That? Imagine blowing the, imagine blowing the whole hotel up. I thought it was well, like we obsessed with the imagine, No, we blowing the hotel blowing it. That would be a real Trump statement, as if they blew the hotel up. <laughs> And then like, the fire, spread, the fire spreads through that's all the see, underground mines. That's only a bit mines. of CGI. You're absolutely right. Destroying the yeah. destroying the spiders. And it would be him that sets it off by accident. But I bet they oh. considered it vaguely, of just let's yeah. just blow the hotel up and have the fire spread through the whole mine. We'll kill off all kill the, spiders. Up the spiders. That's fine. And yeah. destroy South Yorkshire. Well, <laughs> no, Matt, I'm with no you. loss. <laughs> I loved Yaz's family. <clears throat> absolutely loved them. They were fun. Yeah. Uh, the, the mother, yeah, the mother a bit less so, but then we didn't mm. really get to see the mother in the family, so maybe we will mm. again in three they're weeks bit, or whatever. A bit more grounded than Martha or Donna's family, oh, which much, is a good thing. Much yeah, realistic. so yeah. it works. So it hasn't gone. That was one of the Russell T. Davis things that mm. I never quite the kind of the Jackie Tyler. No, yeah, Jackie Tyler characterization. They're always so exaggerated. Joking? I know they? somebody just like Jackie Tyler. That is on the button. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that's that's got to be from real. You must have met somebody. Oh, like I'm that sure. God, right. This is what I'm going to use. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anything Sorry, more? That's that was um, too real. Did we like the new time vortex? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That. Was yeah, a bit I did. So, so that was another moment where I thought, oh, this episode's going to be good. I really like the way they were shooting the TARDIS moving through it. Yeah. It kind yeah, of yeah. Yeah. Slightly. It's a bit like. Um, the Ben Wheatley episodes from Capaldi's first season where he's he sort of occasionally goes kind of hallucinogenic when they're moving into the Dalek or mm. she's holding her breath and you get flashes of red across her eyes. Mm. They went a little bit conceptual with it. Mm. I quite like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They Did didn't you... hold it up. But... And actually the TARDIS looked, interior looked better, obviously to do with the way it's... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but it yeah. spread around a little bit more. I'm still yeah. a bit... Can't get my head around that giant crystal in the middle of it. Yeah, it's a bit too big, isn't it? There was a nice shot from low with the camera moving up um, yeah. as they went into the TARDIS that actually made it look more of a actual place. Yeah. Then we got what was it? Two weeks. It's ago? Very much a. It's high a lot of disconnected ideas, isn't it? Mm. With all the the writing around the edge of the dial yeah, yeah. in the center, and then the crystals, and then the center bit. Yeah. And the bits on the side, they still don't really add up for me. It's almost like they've got bits of different set. Yeah, it does. Maybe work, that's yeah. maybe that's the idea there's behind. One it. Weird shot of a reflection in the TARDIS. Oh, what through the blue? Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was going to be something sinister happening, but yeah. it was just the director decided I need something interesting for this shot. Oh, uh, I can just reflect the dialogue in this. It's essentially the Colin Sorry. Baker's coat of yeah. TARDIS interiors, isn't mm. it, really? But each their own. But we had something in the Vortex that we've never seen before. Like, normally you just see the TARDIS or whatever is in the Vortex hurtling down or hurtling back. Mm. But we actually had a moment this week where you're hurtling down and you get to a junction. Mm. And then... It was more like Bill and Ted's. Is that what happens in Bill and Ted? Yeah, yeah, there are literally <laughs> channels that you go, that they go down, yeah. and they they're literally tubes, aren't they? Like yeah. um, telephone cables or something. You yeah. almost <laughs> got that when you were in the two thousand and five 
like the 2005 yeah. titles where, it where it sort of stops just and goes and around and comes but, back. But yeah. yeah, this was it almost went into a large chamber with different options. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I, quite like I think I quite like that. Yeah, it looked great. It was black and very black and lightningy, really, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was um... lawnmower man. That's what it reminded me of. <laughs> but it was another example of it being just that little bit less cartoony and that little bit more. Mm. And I don't know, I miss the cartooniness. Do you? Yeah. I quite like it as it is. <laughs> well, yeah. well, there's also, I mean, the cartooniness kind of eased. So there's something about them in the TARDIS being buffeted back and forth. And it connects with the outside because of the cartooniness. So it's there's a consistency there. And you had the buffeting, buffeting inside the TARDIS in this one, but there wasn't quite mm. a connect with the outside. I don't know. Yeah. Right. right, anything else or are we going to score this? Oh, I don't like the way... I <laughs> picking things I don't like, but it bugs me. It's the way the music comes in at the end. It almost... Um, I don't know what it is. Well, I noti- well, I it just seems to just cut in really shoddily. Sharply. Yeah. I like in it's the... Kind of abrupt. In the opening title, I like that they've edited the opening titles to the rhythm and dynamics yeah. of the music again, which yeah. is something they stopped doing at the end of... Um, well, it's something they stopped doing during Peter Capaldi, which was very irritating, because mm. they did it really well um, during Matt Smith and with um, the Rusty Davis Doctors. And I like that they've gone back to that. Thank God for that. Because that makes a big difference mm. at the start of a programme when you want to get into the rhythm of something. Mm. Like... Subconsciously, but mentally, get into the rhythm of something that really helps. Mm. And you've and they've what they used to do was that they music would fade out and there'd be a dead cut, and that was always horrible. Mm. So here, instead, the music fades out as the graphics disappear. And then you get the writer's cut uh, credit as the music fades out. And then when you get the dead cut, the music's gone, mm. so it fits. Mm. So finally, finally, whatever you think of the opening titles, finally, finally, you've got mm. one that actually all fits together. Mm. And they, in 13 years of doing the new series, this is the first time that's happened. I think you, what, what's missing at the end is the sting. The sting doesn't happen. It just goes... <laughs> you've, got, you've got the la- final image of the story, then it goes... And it cuts straight to the credit. There is a sting, it's... but it's a really quick one. Mm. Isn't there? I'm sure there is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think they've got the, uh, the sting quite from... Um, I think they're using... I could be completely wrong. I think they're using the sting from the Davison era, but they've edited it so that it's like really sharp and short. But it's the same as last week when they used the song at the end. That seemed to just suddenly cut in as well. Mm. Almost like they just edited it with the sound. So, yeah. Probably a thing. It's probably, it might just be a case of it might not be the edit itself, mm. but it might be a case of the last shot that the director's cut or the editor hasn't left just a little bit more. Another six frames might mm. have mm. made the difference or something. Yeah. Mm. I like, yeah, because the last thing we saw was all their hands on the lever, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and then his cut went boom, 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 boom. And there's a slight sting. We should have come. You should have just seen them start to move it. Exactly. I don't know whether you did. But That's I what I would did. have done. Me, yeah. <laughs> king of the universe. Well, I'm going to go around Dear the table. Mr. Chip, no. Yeah, I'm going to go around the table again and see if we're all in the same place or different. Mm. 
Matt, are you still on a five? Yes. I've gone up one, so I'm on a six. Yeah. Simon? I'm still on... I'm, I'm what, what you said, which is I think people will watch it and it'll become a bit of a... Yeah. Uh, an, a light viewing favourite, so I'm still an eight. And I'm still a seven, I think. Mm-hmm. So actually, we've gone up one between the four of us since the start, so at least talking through it is... I don't think this is going to stay in my head and cause lots of conversations this week. Like last week. Like week's. last week's. Yeah, but last week's was... That's going to happen. I, Unless there's a big concept, that's going to happen more with historical stories anyway, isn't it? Possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the... Well, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see we can't talk about the future. Well, we. what do we know about next week? But... Oh. That it's in the No, very little. I'm thinking of the week after next week will be another that, that's yeah. possibly going to inspire a conversation. Well, we know, we know that it's going to be Sheffield past, uh, Sheffield future past, Sheffield future past. Mm. Right. We don't know anything about the last four episodes, yeah. but I think bang on, episode seven's Sheffield, episode eight's future, episode nine's past, and episode ten Sheffield. <laughs> the way it's been going. I mean, I'd love to be proved wrong, but it just seems that predictable at the moment. And do you know what? That predictability seems to be what's drawing the audience back towards it. Do we know what the figures are? Yeah, the first episode good? is the highest rating debut episode for a Doctor in the history of the programme, all 55 years. Wow. How um, does, what's the time shift for last week's episode? Cause it comes was, out tomorrow. It was around, around 6.1, wasn't it? People watching it at the time. Um, something six point something. Which is not pretty, people good, watching which is pretty good. Yeah. Are people watching it on the night? Because right, at okay. the time it's like three or something. Okay. Okay. Uh, the first episode was. I see. I know. I forget. I've got the. The first episode was about ten point nine. Yeah, it was ten point nine six. Wow. First episode's ten point nine six, which is the highest rating debut. Second episode lost about a million or so, and generally second episodes lose about two million. So it kept a million more people than you would have predicted it to. Wow. Third episode, we've not got the consolidated that comes out tomorrow as we record. But the third episode looks to have lost about another million and a half again, depending whether there's a lot of catch up. But that still leaves it above, fairly well above where it had been for the last two years. Mm. So... That if it normalises at around the level it was last week, then it's still gained yeah. two million viewers over last year and a million over the year before or something like that. Impressive. It's doing well, and even if it does drop again down to about five million, it'll still be more than held in its own. I think it's a genius bit of scheduling and as much as the kids who don't want to go to bed because they've got school the next day will say, Can I just watch Doctor Who? Like, the stable, like we would have done. We would have done, yeah, <laughs> definitely would have. The only thing about the scheduling that works against it is when it was on on Saturdays, a lot of the catch-up would take, on on, take place on Sundays because it was the weekend. But now with it being on Sundays, you don't get that catch-up the next day. So the catch-up figures have taken... Um, a hit. Not, not really taken a hit, but the catch-up figures aren't performing like the live figures are. And although probably that's because a lot of the people who would have caught up are watching it live or later on the Sunday, 
still it means that the figures aren't balancing the way that they used to. But then the figures are up anyway, so it's just... At the moment, it's all good news. Who knows how it'll go on, but at the moment, it's all good news. It's all good news. In terms of viewing figures, the first episode was... Well, look at the bodyguard, right? Or bodyguard, rather. There's no definite article at the start, is there? It's just bodyguard. Mm. That started lower than this series of Doctor Who. Now, Bodyguard went up because people got involved in the story. Mm. And I think if there's one thing that they've not done this year with Doctor Who that people maybe predicted was a cliffhanger at the end of every episode. They did the one at the end of the first episode, which, I don't know, Stephen Moffat did as well. And I think Russell T. Davis did as well at certain points. Like, um, you know, Hitler, not Hitler, Churchill turning up Mm. at the end of um, The Beast Below. Mm. they've all done a cliffhanger at the end of an episode to get you back next week but unless you do it every week then the audience kind of says okay, don't need to see it next week so why don't they? well, it's a difficult thing to add in be a contrivance at some point because in order to do a cliffhanger yeah, you have to contrive it so it's difficult to do it and make it feel natural every story would have to start with the main characters dropped into yeah, like Quantum Leap some sort of dramatic that would get repetitive, I think. You See, want some episodes where they yes, just like they just leap. arrive and slowly <laughs> explore. Yeah, like yeah. Well, yeah, but they can do that because they did it in the sixties. At the end of every story in the sixties, you had a cliffhanger for the start of the next one, and the, the cliffhanger doesn't have to be anything no. more impressive than "Gosh, look at this sandy planet," or yeah. "Oh gosh, look at that big temple," or something like that. From Yaz's dad saying, "You come home, I've made a curry." <laughs> no, maybe just a little bit more than that <clears throat> but yeah I think it's disappointing that they've not done that because I thought that maybe would have helped with keeping their viewing figures up especially after the way they did it on the first episode because that was really dramatic cliffhanger but you know we'll see I think about two weeks time maybe we'll get a really good idea of what it's going to be like once we've got the consolidators for the first four episodes, maybe first five episodes in, mm. we'll start to get an indication mm. of where it might settle. Mm. Right, unless there's anything more then. Uh, I suppose I've got three films that I've done and I shouldn't save them up so that I get nine altogether again. Okay. I did... Okay, no, not three <laughs> films. Two films and a TV programme. The TV programme was BBC's 1989 adaptation of Tom's Midnight Garden. Oh. Which is really starchy and stiff. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's like <laughs> something that was made in the 70s and it was made in the 80s. Strange. <clears throat> and the actor, the, the actor who plays Tom is awful. Some of the child actors in it are just terrible. <laughs> and it's got no sense of humour. But I mean, it, it works the bad as well as you might expect it to, I suppose. It wasn't terrible. Hotel Transylvania 3. Watched it with my four-year-old test audience and have watched it again every day since with my four-year-old test audience. So what can you say? If you've got a four-year-old, Hotel Transylvania 3 is the trick. We've, In fact, Lee, you missed this, but I, when I arrived, in the five days since the review disc for Hotel Transylvania 3 arrived, we have watched that film four times and the other two films three times each. No, three times the first one and four times the second one. So it's just been Hotel Transylvania wall-to-wall all week. <laughs> so I guess that's a glowing review, right? That's got to be, isn't it? And the other one actually is really interesting. It's a film called The Neighbour, 
It stars William Fichtner, who you may not know the name, but you would certainly know the actor. He's a really good actor. Mm-hmm. And he turns up in a lot of things, and he's always, always good. But he never gets the starring role. I think he had a big role in Prison Break, one of the series of Prison Break, actually, but I didn't see Prison Break, so I can't say that to it. It's about a guy, he's a technical writer. Do you know what a technical writer is? Somebody who's very technical at writing. Mm. No, somebody who writes the script for catalogues and things like that. So it's for the audience. So he's got... uh, And he plays this guy who lives in this nice suburban house in America with his wife, his grown-up son's left home. And it's sort of a marriage of repetition. And he plays this really stiff, awkward, quiet taciturn guy and he does a really really impressive job of convincing you who this guy is and then next door neighbours move in they're a young couple and she's very attractive he's a bit boorish and arrogant so he kind of takes against the guy so he starts to get interested you can't really tell because he's so taciturn starts to get interested in the girl maybe you're not really sure and then one day he overhears the guy apparently hitting the girl because you see everything from this guy's perspective so the fact that he only hears it means uh, the camera doesn't show you what really happened (laughs) so now there may be domestic violence involved so the girl starts confiding to him about her relationship because he does gardening and she wants to sort the garden out, so they sort of bond over gardening. And then it becomes this sort of weird psychological thriller. And the entire film is like, really does a really good job of getting really good performances out of really well-written characters. And sort of on a narrative that doesn't do fireworks and doesn't throw things in for the sake of it, but just slowly and gradually goes Mm. through this story as... This relationship between these two people next door might not be healthy. And actually, you come back to the technical writer guy, maybe his relationship's not so healthy either. (laughs) And so it all goes off in this direction. I watched it with my other half, and about 40 minutes in, we both said, right, something needs to happen now. And it took another 15 or 20 minutes before it did. So I would say the film probably does too good a job of painting these characters and too good a job of not throwing in fireworks because actually it got perilously close to being boring Hmm. before you sort of finally got the last sort of 20 or 30 minutes when things actually moved on a bit. It's interesting that you both felt that at that particular time. And that seems to be the natural point, doesn't it? Yeah, there was an actual point where we both said, right, we've seen this now. What's the next step? And it took another 15 minutes. Having said that, the guy who filmed it Aaron Harvey, he's got a sort of Michael Mann stroke David Fincher sense of controlled mechanics. Mm. It's not one of these films where there's lots of handheld and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't go try to be sort of verite or documentary or anything like that. It's very controlled. So the way the camera work works in tandem with the characters Mm. really controls the way the information comes out. And it's beautiful to look at and it's beautifully acted and performed and beautifully written but just like I say there's like 15-20 minutes in the middle where it kind of starts to lose your interest Mm. and I think whether it works is when you get into the last half an hour does it does does it do a good enough job of getting your interest back but the ending's brilliant okay 
yeah, the ending is worth the journey because it doesn't it doesn't pull its punches, but it's just ever so slightly ambiguous, and it is exactly the ending that you'd predict, except you'd go through the whole film predicting an ending, but you wouldn't be able to necessarily say without wanting to give too much away you would you'd know how it was going to end but you wouldn't quite know the the sort of configuration of it okay and it doesn't pull its punches on any of that stuff mm. and it finishes beautifully logically and just a little bit ambiguously what was your rating on that i gave it a 6 but i gave it a 6 and i gave it a glowing review it's like it loses you in the middle and it's you know, then it's a hard job for it to get you back. Yeah. So, you know... So, a lot of potential to become something a lot better than... I would say that guy's next film probably will be one hell of a lot better because of the things he learned on this one. This is only his second film, and apparently his first film was an absolute nightmare. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, for him, I mean. Yeah. It was a nightmare for him. It was one of those ones where the studio says, right, you're doing this, you're doing that. And he didn't have any control. Whereas this time, I think he's gone in and he's just made his own film. And done a really good job. Just yeah. like I say, a lot of people probably find it tedious. Because mm. it just doesn't move like a normal action adventure film. It moves like a modern Doctor Who episode. Well, maybe. <laughs> right, anyway. Anybody else got anything they want to... Bung in before we go. Uh, a, film two, two, a film from 2017 I caught on Netflix. One of those that kind of goes under the radar. A film called I Kill Giants. Oh, yeah. Is it a fantasy then? It's, well, it's ambiguous in as much as it's an American film, but there's British actors come into it. Uh, it's one of these, I imagine, fairly low budget in comparison to most, most films. But there's some, there's some special effects, but they, they're used very scarcely mm. so it's one of those where you're not sure whether the stuff is actually happening or whether it's happening within the imagination of the characters but basically it's a young girl I guess she's about 12 and she's very much a loner quite a character goes around with bunny ears all the time and she's got her own little world that she disappears into where she's got little books and she's she's writing down all the things where wow. all the different types of giant that are out there so she's guarding the town where she lives which is on the sea on the seafront, it's really weird because you sort of look at it and you think, "Is that is that England or is it America?" But it is America, and um, so she she's spending all her time doing what she thinks is protecting the town. So when people say, "You know what, you're, you're just weird," and she says, "Well, I've got my own battles to fight and all this sort of thing," and then an English girl moves into the th- and they become friends because she's very much excluded from all the other people. All the other people. So you go through and then you find out stuff about the girl's past of what's happened with their family because she lives with her sister. Very much a Lilo and Stitch situation where the big sister is trying to keep the family together and there's a brother mm. as well. So you've got that whole dynamic going on as well, but also the fact that the the girl is completely obsessed and saying about she kills giants mm-hmm. and you start to realise that the giants symbolise the battle <coughs> that she's fighting with her grief. I mm. think, well, I think she's lost her mother. Her mother's unwell. Yeah. but pretty pretty sick you know so you as i say it's ambiguous so you're not quite like sure a, whether a monster calls that sort of i've not seen that although i want to but i imagine it probably is right mm. and it's you know it's worth seeing it's not the most amazing film but it's got a good cast and it's got zoe i've got already forgotten her name because i love yes 
from Guardians of the Galaxy and Star Trek, mm. playing a psychologist, school psychologist who builds up a relationship with the girl. And the girl, the, the central girl, is absolutely amazing for her age. Mm. She's a brilliant actor. What actress. age is it aimed at? Is it teenage? It's rated a twelve. Right. So mm. I watched it, and it's a little bit. I don't know. I think. My 10-year-old daughter could probably watch it with me if I explained parts of it to her. But it's maybe a little bit intense for that. Mm. But there's enough there to be interesting as a, for anyone to watch, really. And, you know. But yeah, I'd recommend that. Anybody else, then? Anything in the last week? Yeah, I watched um, Zombie Attack. It's, um... <laughs> yeah. Have you just made that one up? No. It's zombie not. Attack. Zombie Attack. Is that the most generic name for a movie ever? Is that something that they actually threw bits of card in a hat with words on and pulled them that out? That was the set that you've just described. Um, it's it's obviously 1980s. It was producers of the Creep Show, American Creep Show. Mm. It's all shot on video. Really? Um, that's awful. Um, wow. And it looks like throwaway bits of set from Doctor Who circa 1979. Nymon mm-hmm. era, and so they, it, it 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 looks like it could have been done on stage because there's bits of set which are just made, and then you've got black tarpaulin behind it. I mean, they're they're trying to call it a museum, right? A creepy museum. Is this an old film? This is a 1980s, but on on the video cover, right? On the video cover, it looks like a brand new film because they've obviously done it with a bit of artwork. They spent the money on the artwork, so you buy it as a pound. You buy, is this buy just it. something you found? At the bound shop. Yeah. What's wrong with that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I bought some great stuff at the bound shop. Tack of the leeches. That's brilliant. No, that's, yeah. that's fine. But uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, please avoid at all costs. It's the most horrifically bad. Um, uh, <laughs> I might lend it to anybody here. No. Are you sure? Fine. Just for the first five minutes. It's a scream, honestly. No. You can't get through... Lee, I've had I some absolutely it. appalling films. I've never watched The Godfather, so I'm l- even less likely to watch well, you, should, you should watch The Godfather. I know I should. It's really I good. I know I should. Yeah. That's where I need another lifetime to be able to watch these films too. I want to watch. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Godfather, three hours, zombie attack, hour and 15. There it is. And I watched 30 minutes and fast-forwarded the rest because it was so appalling. So what you're saying is you're reviewing... A film for the podcast that came out that came out in the eighties ago that yes. you found in a charity shop Which or I pound shop that you haven't watched that I watched thirty <laughs> minutes of. Okay, but as, on fast when JR forward, said anybody did, else, I was kind of asking effect, for effectively. It's about half past midnight. Do you know this? JR says to us, "Do we have anything else to say?" And your brain said, "Yeah, I'm I mentioning this talk film that I haven't this. seen that nobody <laughs> else is going to be able to find." I'm sorry. Okay, I saw Hereditary, but I thought, oh, no, I won't talk about Hereditary because that <laughs> that came out quite a while ago, yeah. and I just happened to like buy yeah. it on Amazon. But also, if you'd have talked about that, we'd have been asleep by now. Zombie Tats much more interesting, surely. Well, it, it has turned out that was... way, but not because of anything you said, Luke. <laughs> I used to be in a like a covers band, pub band, and we used to go away and practice. And obviously, you'd have those discussions where you say, "Right, so what songs are we learning? We're going to learn this. We're going to learn that. We're going to learn this." And there was one particular band member who would go away for the week and then we'd come back and say has everyone practiced yeah 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 and then he'd start playing a song that we'd not even discussed mm. is that me yes <laughs> that's you 
<laughs> it was like, yeah, right, we're going to play all the songs. And then you start well, playing. a section of new release films at the end. We don't expect something from the pound shop this, from the 1980s. This is, this is obviously a re-release. It's quite, it looked quite modern. Instead <laughs> of the back 2017. The shop. <laughs> all right. Um, are you, sorry, including this in the podcast, are you going to be on the next episode of the podcast? I next week? Know. You don't know? Yeah, probably. Do you want to talk about Thing on the Doorstep now? Are we allowed to do that? Yeah, I think, well, we can give a bit of an uh, inclination. Yeah, is that all right? Because the imminent release, I think. Oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? Once I finish it. Mm. Go on then, you kick off. But you've not finished it. Yeah, but it's... Do you want to save it for next week, then? Oh, well, I'm just thinking, because Lee's quite heavily involved. Does okay. It... Okay, well, there's a project, that an audio project that me and Lee are involved in, which is very nearly completed. Mm. It's actually, it was due for release on November first. I'm not sure if that's going to happen now, but it's not going to be long after that. Mm. And uh, yes. yeah, it's by Sounds of Thunder. Um, new audio. Talk company. about it next week because the thing and about we'll, it is, we'll keep you hanging. We'll keep you hanging. Have a listen next week because it's dead exciting for All us. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it no, will be, it be dead week. exciting. It's a great idea. In fact, we'll lead with it next week. Yeah. My new, <laughs> my new book is being published in the next oh. month or so. My name is Lee. Oh, sorry, you're still talking. <laughs> Until next week, where we will talk about, what's it called, a knock on the doorstep? The thing on the doorstep, which is quite a famous H.P. Lovecraft story. Ooh, I'm told. <laughs> that's J.R. told. That's, that's your clue. <laughs> I don't... I prefer a knock on the doorstep for a sarcastic title. Knock on the doorstep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Starring Robin, what's his name? Robin Asquith. That's knockers <laughs> on the doorstep. Oh, yeah, knockers on the doorstep. That's, right. <laughs> All right. that, that's another one that Lee picked up from the poem yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah could, actually, actually, could you try and find some more irrelevant movies? Absolutely, yeah. That we can talk about. Always. Irrelevant movies. that one movies? Katie Manning was in about 1971 or 72, just before Doctor Who? Oh, she was in. Yeah. Oh, she, well, she was in one of the confessions. Yeah, it wasn't the confessions, but it was similar. Was it confession? Was she in one of those? No, she was in a similar. It wasn't a confession. I don't know if she was in a confessions as well. Maybe in a small part. She had quite a bigish <laughs> part in a similar to the confessions films from like nineteen seventy one. Oh, you've got to be careful if you get a bigish part in those things. Well, it depends whose bigish part it is. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm oh, digging ow. that out. I've got it on a disc somewhere, I think. I've never watched it. I'm digging it out. We will all watch it for next week's episode. Oh, not <laughs> together. Yes. I'm not, no, I'm not, yes. Wa- I'm not watching softcore porn with you guys. I don't. I'm sorry. Oh, it really it's isn't. It's 1971. It's not softcore porn. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. It may have its knockers, but it's not softcore I'm porn. I'm not sitting uh, in the same room as Lee. for you, Lee. <laughs> this, this will be art. Oh. Get it, Lee. It may have its knockers. You can take your hand off my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we'll all sit in a room, watch it together and see what comes up. Oh. It'd be fine if we sit in Lee's library and watch it, because there's like, oh, yeah. that's That'd a big good. room. Oh, come on, Matt. It's probably about an hour and 20 minutes. How hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> come on, Matt, you can do better than that. No, we are no, not watching that and an episode of Doctor Who. We'll be up till about four o'clock in the morning. Mm. Until next week. Hey. I was JR. I was Lee. I was Matt. And I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon.